Have you ever seen anything like that in person? Yes? Yes? Like that is a wild thing. It's called a murmuration. It's a special name that actually was given to the birds, of the starlings, as they fly in that unique lava lamp kind of amorphous kind of thing. They move and they dance and they fly super close to one another and they don't bump in to each other or they don't like crash to the ground. It's really cool and odd. Uh, they act as a, as a whole, but it's a bunch of individuals interacting and floating and dancing across the sky. Now, what's also very unique about the murmuration is that they don't have a central thing telling them how to dance. They don't have like a conductor down below and, and organizing all this stuff, or they're just chasing one bird. These birds fly as a whole group, interconnected in a series of networks. They, they have, like, each bird works with six or seven birds around it. it. It is reading off what they're doing and reacting, and that bird is interacting with six or seven around them, and this is how it all forms and floats and dances as, as that. I think it's unique about these birds that they have something that they might help us understand unity as something odd but beautiful. Birds have a bunch of different flying styles. You may have heard of the Canadian geese and how they have a formation called the V. Yes, they have the V formation. This is very much different. In, in both of these groups, they have some form of unity. And I think both of these categories, herds of birds, have, can, can speak into our life as community but we're gonna focus on this murmuration, the starlings, as one that will speak to us today as we look together to understand what unity could be or what God desires it for it to be. We wanna hold up God's will for unity. We wanna engage with the prayer that Jesus has for unity. We wanna look at the experience of the early church in their sense of unity and learn from a bunch of birds. So today, uh, will you join me as we pray? And today, I'm also gonna start with the Jesus' prayer just to make sure I don't forget it. So Heavenly Father, we, we pray alongside Jesus. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me, even, love them even as I have, you have loved me. Father, we, we want to engage with this prayer. Lord, we want it to form us as a church here in Stanley Park. Lord, we want it to form us as your church over all of creation, over all of history. Lord, we ask that you continue to work in our lives as individuals, as, as parts of your whole. Lord, help us remove barriers. Take them away from us. Lord, whatever you want this to be, allow us to come before you as part of your body. We ask for that blessing because we know that it is in your will and that all things in your will are good. So be here with us today. Amen. So today's text is going to be Acts 2, uh, starting in verse 38, but I also want to give a bunch of context, and there's even like bonus context before we even get there. So I hope that I, I while I meander or float or lava lamp this kind of thing, that we, we understand a larger context 
and see how that applies to the text and hopefully that text informs us a little bit as a community um, today and as we go forward. So Acts 2 is right after Pentecost, the moment where God's spirit has descended into his followers. It's a, a wild story, it's an amazing story, and it's an odd story where the unity is formed and the language of all these people that are from all these different necks of the woods understand each other. That they, they can talk and they hear someone that they wouldn't be talking to normally in their own language. And this, this story of the Pentecost is leading up to today's main text, but the story of Pentecost finds itself into a broader context of God's movement and God's story and God's history. The, the much larger context is that the act of God coming in Pentecost actually was a reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel. You may know the story, you may not know the story, but the story at Babel is that the people were trying to build this tower. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They were trying to not be scattered across all of creation. And God looked down on this and said, that's not good. That's not my heart. That's not my will. And, and God interrupted that and he confused their languages. So they'd be standing around talking to one another and they wouldn't understand each other. They couldn't quite get what the person I was just working with is saying. Something has happened here. So when we look at this, the, the unity that was there in this building of the Tower of Babel was disrupted. And we look over here at the, the Pentecost moment, this, this, this unity of language was disrupted again into a unified communication. They could hear each other. The people's goal with Babel was an ill-focused unity. It was something that God was not a part of. It wasn't God's oriented. It wasn't his desire for creation in that way. And so God disrupted their unity because it wasn't his unity. Now, this is also worth noting to see the heart of these people as they spoke their language, as they're building it. In Genesis 11, you'd find this. They said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to heaven so that, they, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, if you have been around church for a while or you've heard these stories before, you'll, you'll know that there's a challenge in here. And it comes out of the context of what God desires for creation. Right at the very beginning, when God made creation, when he then made man and women, when he, when he made all that he made, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Right? He had a directive for creation and us as stewards with creation. And here at, at Babel, this, this group of people were gathering together to do the opposite plan of what God had said to do. They said, let's make a name and let's stay. They, they, they looked out and they said, we don't want to be scattered. We don't want to fill the earth. We want a tower and we want to be here. To double down on uh, kind of a bonus context piece is that if you look at Jesus' commission at the end of his ministry, you will find that in Matthew 28. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. We have already a, a, a challenging context to understand God's intent for creation, our heartbeats to be united, but 
not aligning it with God's desire for creation. And then we see Jesus entering into the story as well, where at the end of his earthly ministry, he, he gives a directive. He, he acts once again with unity with God. From the very beginning, God's heart was united for creation. And so when Jesus is here, found like week one here, we had the unity of God. We, we saw that God is very much for all that Jesus did. We saw that they support. This is where we look at the three parts in this image, is supporting the work that Jesus had on the cross. That they, they were in unison. So when Jesus has this commission at the end of his time on earth, he's renewing the mission in his kingdom. It's to go, to be fruitful, to multiply, to steward, to, to invest in creation. And so we see that Jesus is united with God in his desire for our lives. And so then as we, as a church, many years down the road, we get to continue to be challenged by this, this conversation. Are, are we aligning with his message and his intent and his vision and what he desires to do with our lives? Or do we find ourselves building a different story? Do we find ourselves going a different way than what God is directing, what God wants for, for us as the stewards of his creation, as the ones that bear his image, one that he loves, that he is for, united in redeeming so as we approach the, this, uh, this passage with a, a deeper context that Peter is preaching into, I hope that we see our, our stories and our lives coming into this, this moment. So after the, the story where the, the Pentecost happens, where the Spirit descends on the early church, there's some questions and there's, there's something where then Peter starts into his sermon, right? This big next section, if you're looking at your Bible, you'll see that Peter has this sermon that he just starts preaching trying to bring some clarity and, and obviously filled by the Spirit because this is Peter we're talking about where he was not the, uh, the sermon kind of guy. He was the jumping out of the boat guy. He was cutting off the ear kind of guy. He was the guy that wasn't the steady. But something has changed and he has this message. And at the end of his message, when he's trying to orient people to what Jesus has done and what that means, in Acts 2.38, we see the people had questions. They wanted to know, now what? Peter replied, repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many others, he warned them, and he pled with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accept his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. So there's, there's this movement as a response to this message of Jesus, the, the heartbeat of what God wants for creation. They said, we need to do something. We need to respond to this. It wasn't like, good sermon, Peter, and moving on. They, they, they noticed that this had implications on their lives. And so then after this, they, they've started a community. Uh, they started to meet, and we see here in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to breaking of the bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to ones that had need. Every day they contributed, or continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their houses and ate together 
with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people around. The Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. So this is the, the starting point of the church. All those years ago, they, they responded. They, they weren't even called like the church at this point. They were just a bunch of Jesus followers that were Jewish in this context trying to figure out, all right, well, that happened. Jesus died and rose from the dead. The Spirit has come down on this group of people that were following Jesus. There's something afoot. They, they gathered in response in, in the Spirit. They, they wanted to know what God was doing. They, they saw the work, the, the reconciliation that was happening between people. And they clung together. And this is where I think a lot of our churches today can, can learn something from the early community and also maybe name some things in our communities that may not be uh, God's kingdom being built here. They clung together in love. They didn't cling together in fear. See, this is worth noting because the church is a clingy thing. Not like, like the awkward stage nine clinger, but like the, together, the bindingness of us. We are a, a, a clingy church. That's what we are made to be. But there is those two types of clinginess. The first one is faith. It's God-focused. It's, it's devoted to prayer. It's leaning into the apostles' teaching. It's breaking bread together in fellowship. It's, it's the faith cling. The other one is, is fear. The one that holds on tightly because you're afraid something is going to be taken from you. And that is the fear cling. And I, I think that might be an element in every church, the contrast and the connections, but some lean one way more than another. And today, I obviously want to encourage us as a, a church community to lean towards the faith cling. See, these, these churches, they have all kinds of opportunities to step together. But when we start building things that aren't united around what God is united about, when God says, do not fear, and we lean into fear as our thing that holds us together, yes, we are together, we can justify a bunch of things in the way that we gather, but it's still not what God wants to build. Right? There's all kinds of reasons to build a church around fear. Right? There's, there's good fear out there. There's, fear is a natural response to problems. It says, a warning light, a saber-toothed tiger is trying to eat you. Or, watch out for the truckies you're going to go. Like, yeah, having a healthy fear of things does have impositions on your actions and behavior. But then there's also bad fears, ones that just want to direct us differently than God wants for our lives. Then there's also like anxiety fears where they, they just want to keep driving over and over and over and over and over again and you can't put them down. But those fear things aren't what you center around. They aren't what we're trying to build as a church, as a, a united body with what God is doing in creation. Right? The fear factor in a lot of churches' unity does not actually produce the type of kingdom God is for. It's actually far more babble than believer. Clinging together in faith, in fellowship. Now that's, that's what the early church did. That's what we saw Jesus desiring for his followers. That's what we saw in God's heartbeat throughout history, is that he wants us to come together with our hearts being one, unified and glorifying God, and responding to needs around us. Knowing that fear, fellowship, is successful 
Right? We've, we've heard many stories where fear can unite, where you can gather and actually produce something huge. You can, you can be successful when you have fellowship and fear. Then it means that we know that success in itself is not the metric for unity. We also know that faithfully clinging to each other and to God and following him to be fruitful and to multiply actually has an element of success to it as well. So then we can't just throw out success as a metric either. Just because we know that fear can make success and, and faith can make success, it means that it is a metric in measuring things, but it's not the metric. When, when we look at what people were doing in the early church, we saw that there was people being added, right? That is success. We see that lives were being restored. That is success. When we see that there's hope found in a different way being lived, that is success. But it's not their priority. Their priority as a community was to follow what God was doing, to let God lead. And that was what drove all the fruit. They weren't just trying to add to their numbers daily, but it happened. They weren't just trying to heal people around them. They were amazed. They wanted to see what God was doing. They clung together in faith and in fellowship. So as we want to reorient what, what unity looks like, uh, we, we know that there's a byproduct from it, but I, th I think at the heartbeat, we start finding that care is one of the deeper parts of it. Do we care for God? Are, are our hearts inclined towards him? We, we had our, our time where we interviewed Sandy about worship. Do we desire to worship God in, in what we build? Is it even a question? Is it, is it where we want to go, or is it just a, a side product of our success? We want to be a community here, and as a church, where, where faith brings us into like a familiness, where we become ones that care deeply, and then from a deep, loving relationship with one another and with God, we see byproducts coming from it, because that, that's how God wired us to be, is to be fruitful. It comes with some intentionality, making harder choices. If any of you have ever had a family, you know that sometimes you have to make a hard choice or two. But when you have an orienting vision, or when you have a value that you hold tight, you navigate towards life. So back to these birds. I propose that a church is a murmurating church, if, if it's healthy. It is that it has a heartbeat to it of connection, and that it also ends up being kind of odd. Right? There's, in our church, an, an oddness to our movement, to what we are as uh, United Brethren, as we are as a church in Stanley Park, and I kind of like it because we can then be more natural to what God is doing in each one of our lives, not just trying to conform to whatever we think that should be a church in 2022 or should be a church that has internet stuff or we aren't trying to conform our community. We're trying to be transformed by the message of Jesus, what it means to our lives and how do we live that out in relationship to one another. The birds help us identify that there's tangible ways to being united. The whole movement of the murmuration, as I was telling you, is an expression of connection. These birds interact with six or seven birds directly around them. And as they are connected, it forms and shapes some. 
their closeness is actually the key to how the murmuration murmurates. Their unity is also not done alone. They are part of a whole. You could have the whole murmuration and a bird off to the side, and you would not say, oh, that bird is part of the murmuration. You'd say, oh, that guy's lost. So there's something beautiful in the way that they are connected. And if you're in person online, you have a computer in front of you. If you're in person, you know that there's a piece of paper likely on your chair or a chair around you. I'd love for you to get one out. And uh, if, if I didn't give you one, it was try, trying to be better for the environment, take one from the seat beside you. Uh, get out the piece of paper for online. Maybe open up your phone. I don't have it up here. Open up a phone, make a little note, messenger. And I would love for you, there's pens in the back or the seat in front of you on the back. Make a list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Put seven spots on this for me. It's probably easier online because you can just type really quickly, but this is going to be a practice that I hope, um, yeah, I hope helps with a bit of tangible implications of a murmurating church in our lives, in our community. So as I'm going through this, I would love for you to be considering who are the six or seven believers that murmur right near you? So the people that are the closest ones to you, ones that you take direction from, you may not be like sitting down at them, which way do I go next? But as you're going on the fly, you might send a text to. Is there somebody that is in your life that has some sort of relationship with you that actually affects your flight, that you orient to, or you say, oh, like, if they're going that way, maybe I'll lean a little bit more this way, or if they're going that way, I might go this way. We as a church want to kind of grow as our local expression of the church with murmuration. We didn't use this term, but the, the idea with our community groups when we, we started up community groups, the whole heartbeat of that was life on life. How do we get believers together where you can see each other in flight? Where you can see how are they responding to COVID? How are they responding to the gas prices? Two bucks almost today on my way here. How are they responding to daily things? Not because we're curious, but because we know that when you are flying and when you're connected to people that have a central view of Jesus, they will help you orient your life to Jesus. In that, we also know that not all of our lives are perfectly oriented to Jesus. So it's great that there's six or seven or some groups like 12 and a bunch of little kids that help us orient more. So as you're looking at your list, are you, are you coming up with names of people that help you orient to Jesus. We want to continue to see our lives finding Jesus in the intersections, the moments that are not today, the moments on Monday or, or Wednesday night, or when you get a hard phone call, or when you have to make a hard phone call. There is beauty in community. As we saw those birds, like it's weird and odd, but there's part of it where you're like, I kind of want to go see that in person. There's a, a desire to see a murmuration where, where a whole works together to create something unique and special and unrepeatable because you will never have the same flight pattern again. 
So these six or seven birds, they, they may not be around their six or seven best birdie buddies all the time as the, the murmuration happens, like, oh shoot, no, Steve, I wanted to fly beside you. So identifying that in our lives, the float and the movement that we are experiencing doesn't mean that the, the people that we put down our list or want to put down a list are always the ones that are influencing us. Right? I, I had the temptation while I was doing this to write down somebody that invested my life 12 years ago. Does anybody else have that? You, can, you don't have to put your hand, but maybe you did already. That's a past murmuration. It's not saying that that's bad. That means, yes, we knew somebody we could fly near. But who is actively flying around you these days? The hope is to bring people into our lives, to identify in our community group maybe. Maybe it's not. Maybe you have a few people that you regularly come in contact from your community group, but you know that you have somebody else that you meet every Wednesday for coffee or once a month for coffee. You know that this is a person that you orient to. Maybe you write that name down. Maybe you have a friend that they send you a text and you're like, this person, while I never see them, I get that text message and they always seem to just bring me back to the next move I need to make in my faith, in my journey, in my, my family, in my business, in the way that I, I engage with people around me, the way that I don't engage with people around me. Write those names down. There's an old adage that you are the sum of the five closest relationships to you. Is there names that you were thinking of who influence you that you wouldn't say are the, the ones that help you murmurate towards Christ, that doesn't engage with your flight pattern that actually helps you? It's worth noting that. I don't say cut them out. They, they are part of God's kingdom, what he's doing, what he's working. Maybe they're murmurating to you, but you're like, ah, oh, this is probably not the direction I should be going. But it's also worth knowing that the adage of the five closest people to you affect who you are, what you do, the way you act, fits with murmuration. But now we're in 2022 and we have this technolo technology which is sending all kinds of feeds to you. So it might be even worth saying that you are also the sum of your five biggest feeds. Who do you follow online? How does that help you or not help you? What, what shape of your life is coming from the, what you follow? So as we continue to look at the people that we murmurate near, the six or seven, it's worth also considering who are you influencing, right? Because these birds, as they are flying, it's not just like, oh, the other six or seven are the birds that have it, and I just kind of tag along. There's, you're going to be one of the other six or seven's orientation as they, as they figure out how to fly. Oh, Oh, Brad's going this way. Well, that might be a part of how we are going, and, and it influences them. So what way are you influencing others? If you're having a hard time coming up with three or four, that's worth noting. 